guys. I'm so grateful to have you as a viewer today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are here to bring you the best personal development content that you can find out there. Here at The Spawn Podcast, our main intention is to educate you, empower you, and evolve your life. So if you love all things personal development and transformation, then this is the place for you. And be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms at The Real Ashley Watkins and at The Swan Podcast. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Swan Podcast. Today we have on Cortina Peters, and she's hailing all the way from Florida. Cortina is a licensed mental health counselor, an international life coach, a best-selling author, a mentor, creator of Boundless Living Coaching, Counseling, and Consulting, better known as the Girlfriend Therapist, a two-time cancer survivor, and the developer and creator of the WOW Effect, which stands for Winning Over Whining. And I don't think I've ever given an intro like with that many, with that many titles and accolades to it. So welcome to the show, Cortina. I'm very happy to have you today. How are you? I am great. And I'm very happy to be here with you. That's so exciting that you have all these things on your resume that some of our listeners are going to be aspiring to go into some of these careers because the show is mostly about evolution and development. I know you started your career in sexual education, which today we're going to have a deep and real discussion about human sexuality and all the things that go with it. So can you just tell us a little bit about you and your career and what made you get into that? Sure. So when I first started my career, I started off as a peer educator, working specifically with the HIV and AIDS population. Mm -hmm. So I found in that time that, oh my gosh, I absolutely enjoy doing this. I absolutely enjoy teaching and educating. So when I went to school, I got my degree in psychology, but then I also got a job at Planned Parenthood. So even furthering my education and my knowledge on sexual health education, because that's what I was. I was a sexual health educator. So I would go into jails. I would go into schools. And then once I got my master's degree in mental health counseling, I also became a professor at South University teaching in the undergraduate psychology department. And one of the courses that I taught was human sexuality. It always just seemed to come full circle. I was always doing it, always a part of it. And I absolutely enjoyed it. So I'm licensed. So I also took a specific certification so that I can also carry the name sex therapists as well. So doing lots of continuing education so that we can make sure that we are getting the proper information out there. I love educating. I love training. And I think a lot of times we don't understand various things because we're just not exposed to it. And so going into what we're going to be talking about today with sexual health education, it's really sad where we are when you have half of the high school students that are graduating that don't even get comprehensive sexual education. And we'll talk about that later, what comprehensive sex ed is and not just sort of the be the one model, which is abstinence-based programs. Yes, and you just said a mouthful. And I love having really informative people on. That's why we really look for people that we know have deep understanding and education on the topic. 
And what you just said was so profound to me because number one, you worked at Planned Parenthood, you went into prisons. So when you first started, was your mind blown? Like when you started to talk to people, how like, how surprised were you that people just didn't know common things about their sexual health? (laughs) Well, it was very mind blowing because specifically of where we were. And I also do a conference every year. I do a speaking. I have a course that I do at the Florida Mental Health Counselor Association conference. And that's for all of the mental health counselors in the state of Florida. I do their HIV and AIDS program. And even as adults, some of the information that they are just misinformed on and some of the things that they don't know, when we've been dealing specifically with HIV and AIDS for well over 20 years now. We're talking about maybe like 40 years. Right. 1980s. 30 years. Coming up like 40 (laughs) years. And so some of the misinformation that they have and some of the things that they think and the questions that they ask, I don't think any question is a stupid or ignorant question. I'm glad that they're asking the questions. But the thing that always gets me is the fact that they've never even had the experience to dialogue against some of the questions that they have, that they've never just been informed about what the facts are and what's not necessarily true. And so going further, when I went into high schools and in prison, some of the information that they don't have and how closed-minded some of the school boards are and some of the schools and some of the school administrators are with allowing comprehensive sex education. Because if we equipped our children with knowledge, they are better able to make informed decisions. When we do not equip them with that knowledge, guess what? We're leaving them out there to their own vices. And that's not healthy, but everybody has their own belief system that goes into their decision-making, which is not always in the best interest of the students that we serve. Yeah, because I was going to say, doesn't it kind of start in the home? If people are uncomfortable to talk about sex, like I don't, I don't remember like my mom talking to me about sex. I mean, like as women, like let's just talk about just women specifically. As women, when we go through puberty, we get our periods and stuff. Those conversations are very odd. It's like minimal. It's like you learn maybe how to put a pad on or like you said about abstinence or about not getting pregnant. So like if this is a common problem, how do we get people to start to feel comfortable to have the conversation? Like where does the solution start? I think we have to come from a sex positive perspective versus a sex negative perspective. The sex positive perspective says that sex is natural, is healthy, and it's good with the right person. Sex negative perception comes from is wrong, is bad, is dirty. So when we're coming from a sex negative position, we're already starting off on the wrong foot. So it's like, oh my God, this is something I have to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about sex positive, then basically it's just, yeah, I know this is something that's healthy because we are all sexual beings. We were created through sex. Somebody had to have sex in order for us to exist. So we are sexual beings. And for us to totally negate that fact when we are educating or not educating our children, it's sad. 
It's really sad. So I think that everybody needs to first figure out why are they themselves uncomfortable with speaking of the topic. Oftentimes it comes from how they were raised. There's just things that we don't talk about. And if I was never taught to have this conversation, how can I then in turn have the conversation with my child if I don't know where to start? And the best place to start is children would let you know when they're ready. They ask questions. I don't believe in giving body parts, pet names, or pseudonames, or fake names. I believe in calling a vagina a vagina, a penis a penis, breast, breast. And the reason why I say that is because we don't objectify any other part of our body. Right. We don't say our ears are our hearers. We call them <laughs> ears because that's what they are. We don't say that our eyes are our seers. We call them eyes because that's what they are. A penis is a penis, a vagina is a vagina, because very early on when we start giving our bodies names other than what they are, it automatically sends the message that, okay, this might not be right. Mm -hmm. Something might be wrong here. And so understanding that you have to first, as a parent, be comfortable to have these conversations with the children. And then in school, you have to think, sometimes they have the science teacher that are teaching these things. Science teachers are just like us. It's not like they are specifically taught how to teach sexual health education. That's why every time we were able to come in as Planned Parenthood, I thought it was absolutely great because even the teachers who were supposed to be teaching this were saying, oh my gosh, I learned so much. You can only teach what you know. If you don't have the knowledge, you can't then pass it on. Right. So at what age as a parent mm -hmm. to the listeners that have kids, I have a 14 year old and almost 12 year old. At what age do we start having conversations? Because I know sometimes I have boys, they're like, ill, mom, you know, <laughs> but at what age do we start having the conversation? And what is appropriate to say about sexual urges or puberty or the body, just everything? I think the best thing to do is normalize it. Mm -hmm. You know, when boys are going through puberty, they may have nocturnal emissions, aka wet dreams. And so not making them feel shame about it. Not saying, oh my gosh, ew, you're perverted, you're nasty, you're disgusting, saying, you know what? This is a natural part of your hormones and you're growing, this is puberty, this is going to happen, and really assessing with them how they feel. Now, to answer your question about when do you start, I believe you start as early as can be. For example, my daughter, when she was three years old, I don't know, she walked in on, on her dad in the bathroom or something. And she came out to me and she was like, mommy, daddy has an elephant trunk. Well, that's how she made the association because right. it's extra hanging down. And so I sat her down. I said, no, Morgan, it's not a elephant trunk because I said, so you know how mommy and you, we have a vagina. Well, daddy has this. And I'm just extremely real and open because then it kind of takes the alarm off. It makes it okay to talk about this. And so you will hear them say different things. A lot of times pa parents are very naive. Their children know way more yes. than they think that they are telling them. Why? Because they go to school with other students. They 
social media is everywhere. We're looking at all of these other things on TV. And if you don't educate your child, trust me, somebody else will. So you want the education and the acceptance to come from you as a parent versus it coming from somebody else where they might be getting the incorrect information. That's true. And I will admit, I was very surprised at what my kids were looking at on their phone. I was very naive. So I think that is a thing where we have in our minds like that they're still like in baby mode. And mm-hmm. when my kids are getting in like fifth, sixth grade and they were riding a bus with other seventh and eighth graders and things like that, I was like, kids are talking about this stuff. Yeah. I was, co- I was completely lost in shock. So you're hundred percent on point with that. I think I was devastated because I, in my mind had a, a time frame of when I was going to have those conversations. And that's <laughs> not, that's not realistic. Cause Right. Like you said, your daughter was three. Three. Yeah. Another thing was when my daughter was in the fifth grade, I don't even know how we got on the subject, but she called me in the room. She was in there with her cousin and we were talking about individuals who are trans. And so I was talking to her. I said, well, how do you feel about that? She was like, I don't have a feeling. She was like, I believe that we should love everybody regardless of who they are and how they are. If that's how they want to be, well, that's on them. I'm not going to, she didn't, she didn't use the word discriminate, but she said, I'm not going to be mean to them because they're different because there's something that may be different about me. And I wouldn't want someone to treat me differently because they didn't understand me. And I felt like a proud mom because I was like the fact that she is gathering her own understanding and have her own information, because I really did not think that she knew, you know, transgender, like, what, what is that? And I asked her and she knew, but I don't hide anything from my daughter. Very age appropriate when it's time for her to talk about these things. But that was a teachable moment for us to be able to have that conversation because she initiated it. I did not shut her up. I did not project my own stuff onto her. I Mm -hmm. I allowed her to talk. And that's what we have to do as parents because ultimately our job is to guide our children. We may not always agree with how they see things Mm -hmm. but be careful about projecting your stuff onto your children because what if that's something that they're struggling with and they see how much hatred you may have or how you feel like it's not acceptable they may not open up to you it may have been a test to see let me see where my mom is with this so you got to be mindful about what you're saying and how you're saying it and what messages are you sending to your children when you respond to them about certain behaviors? Yes. So you just brought me to something I kind of wanted to talk about in the beginning, but we got so good into it to start (laughs) off. So I want to talk about sexuality, sexual preference, and I want you to describe and define those differences. Like People don't even understand what it means to identify as a sex versus your sexual preference versus, you know, who you are. So can we kind of clear that up a little bit? Because there's so much controversy right now, you know, with Dwayne Wade and his daughter and everything that he's going through. And I'm noticing even through social media, I'm like, wow, it's a lot of ignorance out here towards this. So can we kind of, can you give us a little bit of education on that? Yeah, so absolutely. So when I began to educate individuals on sexuality, because a lot of times people think that sexuality is a catch-all phrase for sexual orientation. Right. 
totally different. Sexuality, everybody has sexuality. Sexuality is everything that makes you you. So if you write out the word sexuality, what you would do, and I drew this little diagram to help you guys out. So I don't know if you can see it, but let I me love know. This. Um, okay, yep, I can see it. Okay, uh -huh. so sexuality. So sex is your bi biological sex and your chromosomes and a behavior because okay. we do know sex is a behavior. So mm -hmm. oral, anal, vaginal, any type of sexual behavior that you are engaging in and your biological sex. Were you born a male? Were you born a female? So that's everything that falls under the sex category. Mm -hmm. Then you have your you. That is your everything that makes you you. Your eye color, your hair color, how you like to be described, all of those things. Your beliefs, your experiences, all of those things that are a part of who you are. And then you have the ality piece, which is your personality, your reality, your mentality, your spirituality, and your emotionality. So all of those equate to your sexuality. I love that. I love that. That was so, that was perfectly broken down and it just answers so many things because I think people think that their sexuality is one thing. Or they think that their sexuality is, um, all people know is they just want to be straight. Most people that have no education, they're like, I'm straight. <laughs> you know, like anything you ask, them, they're like, no, I'm straight. So I like that that is so dynamic and it encompasses multiple characteristics and variables about yourself, which shows that everyone's sexuality is so diverse and so, dif so different. Okay, I'm gonna let you finish, but that was profound. So part of your sexuality is your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So your sexual orientation is created by attraction. So you have your erotic attraction. That's who I want to have sex with. That's who I want touching me. And you have your romantic attraction. Your romantic attraction is who you fall in love with, who you want to share with. So your erotic plus your romantic attraction equates to your sexual orientation. Who do I like? Because you may have someone who is sexually attracted to the same sex, but romantically attracted to the opposite sex. Mm. Some people would say that that individual could identify as bisexual. Now, I know we have labels because labels help us categorize things, but I am not a fan of labels. But for the sake of this particular podcast, I will make sure <laughs> I got you. I'm explaining what the general term definitions are for the various terms that we have when we're talking about the LGBTQ IFP population. So L, lesbian, G, gay, B, bi, T, trans. Um, and, and let me stop right there. Mm -hmm. And in transgender, we do not call people transgendered. Right. It's not like a derogatory term. So trans is an umbrella term that you use to describe a set of how people look at themselves. So I could be transitioning. Mm -hmm. I could be born a female, but I've transitioned to a male, or I am in the process of transitioning because I've had my gender conforming surgery. So we used to say sex reassignment surgery. Mm -hmm. So we're reassigning a gender. So let's say I was born a male. I want to be a female. Sex reassignment surgery. 
but we don't call it that anymore. What we call it is gender confirming surgery because it's confirming the gender that you feel you are. And that runs the entire spectrum. Everything that we talk about is on a continuum. So you have heterosexual here and gay or lesbian here. Everybody can fall somewhere in between. Right. It just really depends on how open you are with knowing yourself. If you are 100% straight, then you're 100% straight. And I, going back to the education piece, I don't think that people are educated enough or religion gets in the way. They have these certain urges and they have these certain feelings. However, because of stigma and because my religion says I cannot do this, I do not act on it. Right. I'm not the morale police. I'm not here to tell anybody what they should or should not do. When you are making a decision, what I will encourage you to do is be true to who you are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to make sure that you spend time with yourself in order to truly know who you are. Right. Um, That's very true. I want to interject because uh -huh. you just dumping us with this information. <laughs> And I want to ask the age old question, mm -hmm. can you be born gay? Can you be born with your sexual preference or is it taught or does it come from, this is the age old nature versus nurture that people debate so much because uh, you see people all the time say, you know, that's going to make them gay or that child acts more feminine because they act like their mom or they act like their dad. So what is your professional opinion on can you be born a certain way or does it develop over time? So my absolutely <laughs> unequivocal opinion is yes, I believe that individuals are born the way that they are. Certain Agreed. experiences may expose you to different things. And when I say that, what I mean is, let's just say I identify as straight. I don't want any type of, you know, dealings with a female, with a woman, nothing. But I'm in college and we're experimenting and I go out and you know the song, I kissed the girl and I liked it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you weren't drunk, you probably wouldn't have never kissed the girl. So now you kissed the girl. Now it's like, oh, I didn't even know I enjoyed this. Let me try it again. Let me see. Because first it was just kind of like curious, right? right? You know how they say the term by curious. I'm just curious. I'm trying to see what it's about. But if you find out that you really enjoy it and you start liking it, now what is, what is that? It probably was something that was already inside of you on the inside of you, but it had never been tapped to come out. And had you never had that experience, you probably would have never thought. Now, then again, maybe you would have. Now, when it comes to individuals who feel like they are trapped in the wrong body, these are our trans individuals, mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that they really feel that they were born in the wrong body. And that's not only because of studies that I've read, but also personal interviews that I've conducted with individuals who identify as not with what their biological sex was. They said, I always knew. I always knew from early on, you know, no matter how I tried to hide it, no matter how I tried to do this, put on this front for other people, I've always known that I was different. I've always known that I was attracted to the same sex. I've always known that something was different about me. Now, with the age of technology, mm -hmm. I do 
think that there was an increase of individuals who were open to trying new things, i.e. teenagers, mm -hmm. because of what they were able to see. Now, let's ask the listeners this question. Would you continue to engage in a behavior that you did not like? No. So Excellent. if I try something and I don't like it, I'm probably not going to do it again. But if I engage in the sexual behavior and it's pleasing to me, and that means I like it, I'm probably going to do it over and over again, i.e., which goes over to, this must mean this is a part of me. Right. Although I may not want to agree with it, I may not want to accept it. If I am physiologically responding to the stimulation and I'm enjoying it and I'm not being forced, let's take that off the table. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to be forced to do anything that they do not want to do. But I am, if I am a willing participant and I am engaging in this sexual activity that I like and I'm going to continue doing it, it's not because I was introduced to it that made me like it. It was because I already liked it, but I had the experience to be introduced to this experience, if that makes sense. Yes. And you broke that down very well. And I also want to talk a little bit about which you, a light bulb popped in my head about femininity and masculinity, because I think a lot of times, especially in the black communities, I only can speak for being black. I can't speak for nothing else. But in the black communities, when males are feminine or have feminine characteristics, they're labeled or they're teased or they're pushed away. Same with women. I see women often say, I was a tomboy or I was masculine or I, I play sports. And then they're labeled. I even in high school, it was a common thought or rumor or just vibe. The girls on the basketball team were automatically lesbians. And mm -hmm. I know it seems aged because now, like you said, my son, 14, told me, which I'm like, I think I'm just clueless. He told me that the, the girls that he go to school with, they identify as being sexually fluid and all these terms that I'm just like, how are these kids even using this? So I wanted to talk about the aspect of feminism and yeah. femininity and masculinity and how that exists in each of the sexes, because I think that people don't really understand that. I personally think it has its place. People may not agree with me with what I'm about to say. It's okay. <laughs> I believe that we should allow our children to make their own decisions. I don't believe in forcing gender roles onto children at such an early age because that is such a heavy responsibility to bear. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of individuals who grew up with all sisters and they are not gay today. They wore their clothes, their shoes you know, walked in their mom's high heels, that does not define who you are sexually as an individual. But there are some people that are so deathly afraid to even see their child walking in high heels or anything because they want them to be tough. They want them to be masculine. And I think that can be very damaging. Mm -hmm. And I say that because when we see a little boy crying, we're like, man up, stop crying. You're not supposed to cry. You know, and what are we teaching them? So are we teaching them that it's not okay to cry, that we can't show emotion or the only emotion that it's okay to share is anger or irritation or rage? Because oftentimes, you know, when a little boy gets upset or angry, we don't say stop being angry. Boys don't 
get angry. No, it's only when they're being vulnerable. It's only when they're showing that softer side. So when it comes to gender roles and masculinity and femininity, I think that it has its place. I, I am very feminine. I am very in touch with my feminine energy, but also my parents did not make it prominent on me. I'm probably one of the most feminine women in my family. Um, but I think that even when it comes to colors that children select, children don't know that this is a male color, this is a female color. The only thing that they know is what we tell them. If we tell them that Nope, pink is for girls, blue is for boys. And if you pick up the pink crayon, you know, that's bad. You don't do that. They're not going to go for the pink crayon. But why not allow them to go after any color that they want? Because no color is higher than, than another color. Right. So why don't we just let them choose what color they want to color in? There was another thing with little girls back when I was growing up. You wasn't supposed to wear red lipstick or red toenails. Oh, yeah. My grandmother told me that, too. What is yes. that? Why? Because they thought that harlots and whores wore the color red. Right. But the thing is, it's a color. We give so much power to colors and meanings to things. Then we put that on children who could care less they don't care about because it's red they're not thinking about oh i'm a harlot i'm a hoe that means that i'm <laughs> sleeping around with different people they don't even know what that is so again we're putting heavy weight and responsibilities on the shoulders of children who don't even deserve it so we have to really begin to figure out what are the messages that i'm sending my child by telling them what they should do as a man and what they should not do as a female I just think that we should allow children to come into their own. Again, as parents, it is our job to guide them, but we do not penalize them from going outside of the lines. Right. So when I say going outside of the lines, we have these gender roles and these schemas and these scripts that society gives us. This mm -hmm. is how boys act. This is how girls act. At what point do we begin to challenge that? Because right. who says that men cannot cook and clean and be domestic? You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. shifting now, but it's still very, very heavily saturated with the idea that men just work, work, work. Women, you take care of the house, you take care of the kids, you change them, you feed them, you make sure the house is always clean. Well, guess what? The roles have changed because women are also working as well. So does it mean you just get to work and come home and do nothing? But mm -hmm. I am the woman, I am working and I am doing everything. So I think this teaching children to be healthy, happy individuals, teaching them if you like yellow, yes, yellow, great, wonderful, but not causing them to stifle their creativity. Because right. when we put too much on them, we can stifle their creativity. We can put a harness on it that prevents them from reaching their ultimate goal or potential because of our own ignorance, because of our own fears and our own insecurities that we carry. Yeah. And you said a big thing about fear. I think that is what it is. It boils down to fear. Mm -hmm. But also, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because I wanted to start talking a little bit about people that have had sexual trauma. I know that there's a huge stigma that if you if you've been molested or you've been sexually abused and that affects your sexuality. Like I would hear growing up that uh, you see a, a gay male and it's like, oh, well, somebody must have touched him or he was molested 
or you're associating that to that. So can we talk about trauma and how it affects your sexual orientation or your sexuality? So for some individuals, it can, because again, just because I'm being raped, that doesn't mean that my body's not going to respond to it because my body may not know that I'm being raped. It's going to know that, okay, there's a good feeling sensation and I am going to get wet, get moist, lubricate, or what have you. So some people would believe that, oh, well, since it felt good, it wasn't really rape. No, that's my biological reaction to being stimulated. So when it comes to that, there are some women that absolutely have issues and they have to go through therapy mm -hmm. to help heal that area because they may have vaginism, which means their vagina might contract on its own because it's reliving the trauma that they experienced from that sexual experience. They may have a fear of getting close to others. When we talk about men who have been sexually molested, on average, most men who have been sexually assaulted do not necessarily turn out to be gay or homosexual or anything like that. There are some that do, but you can look at that on the flip side, like, okay, there are some who nothing happens to them, but right. they still end up homosexual or identifying as gay. When it then comes to trauma, the trauma piece of this, my role and the role of other sex therapists is to absolutely go through that trauma and figure out what's the distressing situation that's causing them to experience these uncomfortable sensations that they feel, whether it's hypervigilance, nightmares, flashbacks, night tears, you know, sweaty hands, panic attacks, whatever those things may be, so that they can have enjoyable sexual experiences. I don't know how real we're getting here, but I myself- Get as real as you need to get. Sexually assaulted. And for a while, I could not watch people kissing on TV. I could not watch people being intimate. I myself could not be intimate. And so I really had to do a lot of work around there. I could not even be in the room alone with a male without feeling panicked or that fear because I was suffering from PTSD. Mm -hmm. But working through that, if you are able to go to therapy and work through that trauma, you most definitely can have an enjoyable sexual experience moving forward if you are able to let go of that. But until you are able to work through that, it may be very difficult for you to connect with someone else, to trust other people, or to even get close to someone enough to really give them the real you. Or you may now just objectify sex. It's not a part of you, so I give it away freely because it's not really a part of who I am because it was taken from me without my consent. Mm -hmm. Or you may feel dirty. Or you may feel like I'm damaged goods. No one's going to want me. And so you start to internalize low self-esteem, low self-image. I'm not worth this. I can't do anything. And so I think healing anyone who has been a victim of sexual violence or trauma really needs to get healing so that it's not impacting their ability to have a great sexual experience. And again, it's not all about sex. What it is about is making sure that you are healthy and whole so that when you are sharing yourself with somebody, you're able to do so without all of this residual baggage that comes from the unhealed traumatic experience. Okay, so 
I just love you so much. I just gotta <laughs> pause and say that. Cause I like anybody that can make me shut up and be like, damn, I just love those moments of everything that you said. But I'm I'm questioning because there might be somebody that's listening that may have had a sexually traumatic instance that's it, it could even be in a relationship that may have been emotionally, you know, taxing or whatever that affects people's intimacy. And how does that journey, because you said, you mentioned going to therapy, but how does a journey from not being comfortable to receive love and intimacy and become close with a partner, how do you go from that to an actual healthy companionship with someone? What does that look like? Or can you give us like something that a listener right now could start to practice or add to their life if they're not going to therapy to help them out? One of the things that I highly recommend to everybody is journaling. So if you begin to question certain things in your mind, ask yourself the question. If you can't get close to anybody else, begin to free associate and write down, okay, why can't I get close to anyone? And begin to write out your thoughts. Whatever free associates, whatever comes up for you, get it out on paper because a lot of times we have so much going on here that we do not even fully understand the extent of what we are experiencing in our mind. It's not until we can look at it on paper and read it for ourselves that we can truly make the connection from the things that were disconnected in the beginning. So something that they can take, that they can implement and incorporate in their life is for them to begin writing, writing it out, begin to connect the dots. And then if it becomes too much, grounding techniques work very well. Another thing, uh, well, let me pause right there. Grounding techniques are things that help you to be centered again. So one of my favorite ones is the five, four, three, two, one technique. So when, let's say you're anxious because you have a new partner and you guys are supposed to get intimate that night, but they don't know that you have all of these reservations because of a past negative experience or you are afraid of connection and closeness to them, a little caveat, if that is your experience, I personally would not recommend that you even engage sexually with that person because you can't even have the conversation with them to share with them everything that you're going through. Yeah. When you talk about sharing yourself, sharing yourself in and of itself is intimate. And I'm not talking about sharing your body. I'm talking about sharing you with that person. Mm -hmm. And so if you're engaging sexually with somebody and you can't even share with them, okay, are you going to wear a condom? What if we have a baby from this? These are all conversations that need to happen. And if you're uncomfortable with having those conversations with individuals, that might not be somebody you need to be having sex. That's a, yeah, that's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even talk to them about what if I get pregnant? Well, I'm on birth control. Well, we know things happen. People don't take them the way that they're supposed to be taken anyway. So mm -hmm. anything could happen. But if you don't see yourself with this person for X amount of years connected to them, if a baby were to come, well, we know some people get rid of it and things like that. However, if you can't even bring yourself to have this conversation, you might want to think about, hmm, what makes me want to give myself away to this person? Or if you're not comfortable with your body, with being totally naked, what are you hiding? Because a lot of 
insecurities, body insecurities also prevents people from being able to share openly with their partner or the person that they are having sex with. It's not because the person doesn't accept them. It's because you don't accept you. Right. So that's why it's uncomfortable for you to get close or get connected to that person. So another thing that I would suggest for all of your listeners to do is to really figure out what is it that I need to do? Why is this so uncomfortable for me? Or why is this so hard for me to do that makes me apprehensive when it comes to giving myself? to somebody else. Let me write that down. Let me explore because you cannot heal what you cannot hear. If I cannot verbalize the things that I'm writing down on this paper, I'll never be able to move past it. Mm -hmm. So I have to first be able to identify it so that I can work through it and process it so that I can lead a healthy, happier life. Right. And people, okay. So when things come up, we often hear the word process it, like you said, but I like to break that down more because I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. Okay. And sometimes when things come up, you're like, okay, now I found the root of it. I found what it is. I've identified it. I'm aware of it now. Now what do I do with this? So I have intimacy issues from X, Y, Z because I'm afraid because of this. Now what though? It's the why. Okay. I know what. Now I have to figure out the why. I know what it's coming from. I know where it's coming from. Now I have to figure out why is this still an issue in my life? Why? So we have to be able to answer the why behind the what or the how this the how this came to be a part of who I am. So when we start to tackle the why, that's going to lead you to, okay, well, I'm at a roadblock. I can't go any further. So now I need a life coach or a therapist. I need somebody to help me unpack all of this stuff so that I can further discover why am I stuck? Mm-hmm. And I always... such an issue for me? I'm sorry. I, I always direct people to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I used to be so hesitant. I used to be like, I don't want to keep telling people they need therapy. <laughs> like, it's... It, it, but they do, you know, so now I'm even having this platform. It's about letting people know that, okay, here's where you are. But when you get here, you may need to seek some professional help. And I think people, you know, you may see this a lot where, and I always ask therapists and counselors, this, what brings someone to your office? Like what makes, what's the final straw? Or what do you see people come in your office saying? Like, how did they get there? Because I see this huge gap between people having these problems and this resistance and they battle with it. And then they hit this wall and then they finally go get therapy. So what do you see people struggle with when they finally come to you for counseling? When they finally walk into my door, I mean, I see a gamut of issues from pornography addiction to just your garden variety problems, anxiety, depression. A lot of times it's when it's starting to impact their daily functional of living or life. Mm-hmm. So they cannot function the way that they used to be able to. It's starting to become very overwhelming and they themselves have identified, okay, I don't want it to get any worse. I need to go see someone. I need to go see someone about what I'm experiencing because I can't continue on like this. So the final straw is they realize 
that they can't continue on because I don't take insurance or anything like that. So everyone who comes to me is just private pay. So they really want to be there. I don't work with the population who are mandated or court ordered. I, I don't believe in forcing people to do something. I want to work with people who want help, right. who willingly are coming and saying, fix me. <laughs> <laughs> I need okay. you. I need your help because I'm at a roadblock. Like you said, I'm at a dead end. I can't go any further without the help of someone else. And I think it starts to show up in relationships. I'll speak from like my dating experience, which you were saying about the masculinity and the femininity. I live in LA and through dating, I would see how many men actually struggled with what they thought a man was supposed to do or how they thought they were supposed to be in a relationship. And it's things that I'm not even aware of. And Mm -hmm. it would be that inner critic that they had going on that will pour into the relationship. So I think some people, once they start seeing I'm not forming healthy relationships with people. And this is a pattern. What is going on here? I think one of the things that individuals, as they get older, need to do, when you get in or enter into a relationship, you need to have a conversation with that person because the rules that apply to your last relationship may not necessarily apply to this relationship. So whereas your last relationship, you were required to pay all the bills, to do everything, but that was stressful for you when that is probably what ultimately led to the relationship ending in your new relationship, what are gonna be our roles? I don't wanna say gender roles, Mm -hmm. but what are our roles? What are your expectations for me? And what are my expectations for you so that we can both make sure we are operating within the confines of what we expect from one another? What that does is it minimizes the amount of arguments that you may have, one, because you're communicating and you're talking, even when it comes to the amount of sex that we're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about sex, okay, some people, they want to have it every day, all day. Some people, I'm good if I get it once a month. Okay, that's good. If you get those two people together, very different. In the beginning, we know that people are more sexually active. Why? Because the neurotransmitters going off in our minds and our serotonin and our dopamine and norepinephrine and all of these different things that are going off causes us to be attracted to this person, which makes us want to give ourselves to them more. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once the newness of the relationship has worn off and those are not in play anymore, okay, how much time do we want to have sex with one another? So that's why in the beginning, if you know, on average, just taking an analysis of all of your past relationships, if you were good with every other week or once a week, but this other person knows that they need it every day, Monday through Sunday, that might be an argument in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So being very open-minded about your expectations of one another so that you are decreasing the amount of arguments that you are having with one another because of miscommunication. And I don't even want to say miscommunication, just non-communication, because you're not talking about what you want, need, deserve, and desire. Yeah, that's very, very true. So we're going to wrap things up. But before we do, this is the part of the show that we give our listeners an opportunity to find you if they feel like they're struggling with something. I mean, if I was listening, I would be like, this is the person to go to for anything that has to do with sexual things. But also, you're an amazing life coach. So you talked about relationships, you talked about a lot of different things. And you have a book, your book, 
Okay, so talk about your book. Let me stop. Go, go ahead. Talk about your book. Okay, so my book is The Wild Effect, a step-by-step guide to discovering the winner in you. Like you said earlier, Ashley, I am a two-time cancer survivor, but I'm also a therapist. So there are very concrete concepts that you can apply to your life that you will find in the book that helps you to be able to tap into and discover the true winner within. No matter if you've been presented with roadblocks, if you have had shortcomings, you know, ups and downs, it does not matter. There is still a winner inside of you that deserves to come out. And so with that guide, that really helps you to be able to identify who the winner is and why that winner inside of you deserves to come out and stand up. So that is the wow effect. You can find it on barnesandnobles.com, Amazon, and on my website at www.iamcortina, C-O-R-T-I-N-A, Peters, P-E-T-E-R-S dot com. And you can also find me everywhere on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at The Girlfriend Therapist. Yes, known as The Girlfriend Therapist. So I just want to take the time to tell you how grateful I am to have you. I know you guys don't know. I always talk about this on the show. We go through an extensive vetting process to make sure that we have the best people to come on the show. So just know that Cortina has been vetted, (laughs) vetted through the process, through phone calls. We all had to get together on this because I really needed you on the show. And I'm so happy to have you. Hopefully we can bring you back and talk about another topic. I know you have so many things that you can talk to us about. So we're going to have to connect on that. And thank you for your time. I have no more to say. I hope you have a great day and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. (laughs) 